eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and the for the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 73 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined as always by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And right away, we're going to welcome in our guest today, Fluto Shinzawa of The Athletic. Fluto, thanks for joining us. Not much to talk about with the Bruins this week, though. A lot of things going on, Brian. Doing well. Good to be here. (laughs) So, Fluto, so you were actually on this, what, uh, after the fact, turned into like the road trip from hell. Um, you survived. You made it back from from Western Canada, uh, and now Bruins have three COVID cases themselves, including two thirds of their top line. Uh, what do you make of of what we're seeing? And you know, as of right now, it's still game on. Nothing's been postponed. But how do you feel about just where things are with this with this team this week? Oh, very unfortunate, um, just given the situation that, uh, boy, everything you read about uh, the virus and uh, everything you know about hockey's conditions, um, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty ripe for something to go sideways, and certainly did uh, in Calgary. Now, we're, we're all assuming that it's related to the Calgary situation in terms of what, what the Bruins are going through. Uh, we don't know that for sure. We don't even know that these are positive cases, that this is just protocol for uh, Marshan, Smith, and, uh, and Bergeron. But, boy, you, you would hope it, it would be contained for the Bruins, but you just don't know. You just uh, hold your breath on that one and, and see. But uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised if the, if the situation gets worse, not just for the Bruins, but for the rest of the league, just in terms of numbers. So, uh, holding pattern for now. Uh, very unfortunate, but uh, I think we better get used to it. Now, what do you think? Uh, they head on the road to the Islanders, then they go up north to Canada. What are the odds that they don't come back with another positive before? And 
I correct me if I'm wrong. If they get to Canada and someone tests positive there, don't they have to wait two weeks before they can come back to the U.S.? Correct. Yep. That's that's the issue. That, so, do you think they would try um, to avoid Carolina that? ran into? So, you think they would try well, to avoid that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's obviously that's that's the nightmare scenario. And from what I've read, that Carolina was able to find a workaround with Sebastian Ajo and. Uh, uh, I think there's one other player and then a support staff that they're able to, to get them on some kind of private travel. But yes, it's you're looking at hard isolation, quarantine, whatever, for 14 days if you test positive in Canada. So that's just that's just really, really tough, um, of course, to test positive and to be sick, but to be away from, from your city, your team, your family or whatever for 14 days, that's the rule. Um, and there's no negotiating with the government. So, yeah, that's that's a scenario that you really want to avoid. But with two games, uh, now, granted, uh, back-to-back, maybe that helps with Montreal and Ottawa. Um, and you can reduce your time spent uh, north of the border that way. But, yeah, that could that could get really, really sticky. Um, and there's, there's no negotiating. I, I guess... If Carolina was able to get the work around that, maybe the Bruins could find just because you could drive. Um, maybe there's some way to to get, get around that. But boy, that's that's really uncomfortable, and uh, yeah, that's that's not something anybody wants to think about. Are you planning on going up north for the Montreal and Ottawa games if they're on? Uh, yeah, as of now, um, I'm Scott in New and I York can't right decide. Now. <laughs> Scott and I yeah, are we're planning on going, but now we might cancel. So. There's there are so many um, layers of it, Bridget. In terms of okay, you have to test to get into Canada, and then uh, as long as you're driving, you can come back to the states without a test. But as as we've seen, all these rules change so quickly. Um, and last I've seen is that uh, at least in Canada, they're advising Canadians not to travel. So who knows? <laughs> the gate could be closed uh, at, at any point. So it's uh, you just have to. Day by day, hour by hour. So, yeah, just just uh, something we're all monitoring. I had a feeling yeah. they weren't going to let you in, Scott, anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, and just, uh, you know, shortly before we started recording, Ontario announced that they're reducing capacity at big events to 50%, and that uh, would include Ottawa Senators games. So, you know, to your point, yeah, this is all just changing, you know, by the day, by the hour, and obviously now... It's like every morning we're just waiting for that update, you know, for whether it's morning skate or, or wherever and seeing if there's any more positive tests. Um, Fluto, I want to ask if if the Bruins do play, so, you know, say Thursday night's game is on and beyond that, uh, they could be without Bergeron, Martian, and Smith for, for a few games here. Um, how do you think they, they approach this? Because, you know, it's easy to say, like, well – they're just screwed without those guys, but obviously they can't have that mindset. So how do they try to figure this out and piece it together? Well, yeah, nobody's going to feel sorry for them, especially not the Islanders who, who had their own issues. And uh, I'm pretty sure they had a, a shutdown of their own. So no sympathy there. Uh, I, I would guess just go back to uh, the identity of the team, which is defense first and foremost, and just try and lock it down. Uh, try and get into a one-goal game. 
uh, easy easy for them not to score just because the, they don't do it. So, um, but if, if they can lock it down in, in front of their goalies, uh, we've seen Allmark get into his best groove. So, assuming let's just assume that the, the roster is set right now and no other players have to go into protocol, you would you would think that Allmark gets a start and he should be okay just based on what we've seen. Uh, he's playing his best so far since arriving. So you combine that with defense, and then maybe you get a timely goal or two, and maybe the power play can come through. But yeah, that's a that's a tough situation. But sooner rather than later, I think every team is going to come through this kind of 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 issue in terms of being bodies down, and it'll be up to the the, the healthy players, the players that have the green light to to play to their strengths. And for the Bruins, that means defending, um, being disciplined, um, coming through on the power play, uh, getting some good goaltending, and, and locking it down. Fluto, uh, going forward without Mara Shannon Bergeron and, and Craig Smith as well, obviously, you know, the obvious answer is as a, as a collective offensive unit, everybody has to pick up the slack, right? The, the, bo- the bottom six specifically. But that, that goes for even when they're healthy. But somebody who I've been watching closely, um, you know, and the eye test has been telling me he hasn't been the same despite production, and, and the, the numbers would say that too is Pasternak. Now, you know, when he won the um, the, the Rocket Richard with, with Ovechkin, he was averaging um, 1.36 points per game. And obviously, COVID shut the league down. And since then, last year, he was averaging uh, a point a game. This year, he's on pace for uh, 69 points, which would be, you know, 0.84 points per game. You know, what are you seeing with Pasternak that you know might might describe or, or explain why he's still being a very productive player, but for his standards, you know, not really uh, at that top gear? Uh, I think it's it's just a little bit off, um, a hair here, a hair there, and that's all it takes for a player that is usually dynamic, usually a a, a difference maker on just about every shift to be a little bit diminished and, and it's completely understandable just given the family situation. I, I'm, I, I'm surprised he didn't take a leave of absence, um, that, that he's, he's playing and, and giving you credible uh, top six presence is remarkable in itself. Um, just because that, to, to lose a boy, to lose a kid, your first kid at that age, that's, that's life changing. So uh, uh, obviously he's not thinking about it on every shift, but from from what we've seen in the in the league is that it's it's so competitive and the players are so good that you have to be a hundred percent on in terms of zero distractions, completely dialed in, and and you can't help but have your life affected by that. I, I think that's what we're seeing. Um, I know his training was was affected in the off season because of that, and and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe that's he's still trying to find his rhythm and his pace and his uh, just uh, how everything feels right to him uh, uh that's that's what i see um and uh, i wouldn't be surprised if okay he's 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 good and he's 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 giving you decent production but yes he, he hasn't been the the posture that we've seen i wouldn't be surprised if that stays all year and now because bergeron marchand out with covid now Pasternak's going to be playing with Hall and Coyle, uh, most likely. So what do you see from that kind of matchup? Coyle hasn't been really with Pasternak much this year. Yeah, uh, Charlie's been good, as uh, pretty good, I think, as your second-line center. 
Um, but I think everybody would would agree that uh, optimal uh, situation, he's your third line center. And now he's being asked to be your first line center with uh, a player in Taylor that I, I still haven't seen uh, 100% chemistry there. And then you throw in David, and, and those are, uh, at least him and Charlie, uh, as you noted, uh, have not had that many shifts together. I, I think that's going to take some time to adjust because it, it's just such a different style of play from Patrice, and then you take out Brad. So that's, yeah, that's a completely different looking line, a different approach, different style. So it's going to be on all three to um, express their own individual strengths, and, and perhaps they, they can come together. Um, but, yeah, that's they're, they're just going to have to, to fight through. It's not going to be the same, um, and, and maybe there's – there is some uh, some individual resilience in terms of guys saying, "Okay, we're we're without two of our best players, without Craig Smith, uh, we're we're in a jam, and, and maybe that they they can find uh, perhaps a, a little bit different gear in terms of offensive production, and then the, that all comes together." But yeah, that's those are three different varying puzzle pieces that haven't really seen time together. So. Um, it, it, it might not work, but they don't have a choice. If, say, that the next three games, Bergeron and Marchand stay out of the lineup, what do you think the Bruins, like, at best scenario is in terms of taking away how many points uh, out of the next three games? They are playing Montreal and Ottawa uh, and the Islanders. It's obviously better than catching Tampa Bay, Florida, or you name it, Toronto. Um, what do you think that is the... The what what would you guess would be the points they take out of this next three games? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the the opposition clearly is is diminished compared to some of the other options they could have had. Um, but Islanders, they they always played the Bruins tough. Uh, they they the Bruins have had a tough time getting through that kind of system. Um, so that that'll be a dogfight. Uh, and then back to back with travel, um, uh, Montreal and Ottawa. So nothing easy. Um, but yes, you would think that okay for a team that got five out of six points in Western Canada, perhaps they can do something similar here. Um, so yeah, uh, you would think still, just given the the talent, um, the experience that they have here in Boston, the they they through games like this before they they should they should get four out of six points Fluto, uh you wrote last week about why this jake debrusque trade you know isn't easy to pull off and some of the complicating factors and that was really fo- you know it was a good piece and it was really focused on the contractual stuff and you know what a trading part what a trade partner may or may not be willing to commit to him um going forward <laughs> Uh, now that this is also complicated by this COVID situation where obviously the Bruins just need bodies and DeBrusque we've seen play up in the lineup now a couple times recently. Do you think this puts maybe some of the trade talks on pause? Do the Bruins try to find a way to make this work and keep them around for a little bit longer than maybe initially planned? Yeah, I don't think Jake's request is going anywhere. Uh, I, I would, I would, Say, especially just given that it's, it's not just the Bruins in isolation here that are dealing with with um, players being put into protocol. It's it's 
pockets around the league that are only going to grow. So I, I don't see any GMs being uh, willing to, to part with healthy players at this point. So uh, I think all trade uh, action around the league is going to be very quiet, um, unless it's it's player for player and, and forward for forward in the Bruins' case. Um, because yeah, there, it's because then you throw in the cap implications. Um, if you if you try and trade a, a player for, or let's say for example for cap space, well, uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's very complicated right now, just because of of the illness situation. So uh, it's going to be on Jake to to perform and, and uh, suck it up in terms of of staying with the team, um, and and up to him to to be a better player. Didn't really see that much the other night, so uh, he needs more. He needs to bring it, and then perhaps that will help accelerate the trade talk because then uh, he can be productive, and, and other teams can say, "Okay, that's a player we would like." Uh, and then, but yeah, there's it's just it's it's very layered situation um, because of the contracts, uh, the the pedigree of the player being a former first round pick. Um, and the Bruins cap situation. So uh, I, I think there's there's a whole lot of speed bumps on the road, uh, and I, I, I would be surprised if, if we see any action on the trade front there with Jake. Fluto, if you were a betting man, if and when he does get dealt, um, you know, do you, do you feel that it would be a uh, a one for one, or do you think they'll try to package him? What, what do you think? What do you think Sweeney would feel? Would be the best for the Bruins, but also for you know a, a, tra- a trading partner. Did we lose Fluto? Yeah. Fluto? No, I don't see him on the line. I'll call him back. <laughs> we lost him. Must not have liked the question. <laughs> hey, Fluto, you got us. Yep. Yep. All right. Um. So I guess I guess my question was so bad you just had to hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, uh, what I was asking was if you were a betting man, Fluto, you know, do you think the Bruins uh, will be Looking for a one for one for Jake, or or try to package him. Uh, I guess uh, I would think it would be a similar, uh, a player in a similar situation, one for one, um, a, a young player, maybe that that second deal, uh, underperforming, unhappy, uh, just just isn't working out for for that player's team, and there's there's uh, a similarity there. That that's what I would expect in terms of player for player. Uh, in terms of uh, possible package, uh, I don't know if that's as likely. Uh, if if you're the, the Bruins and, and maybe you can get a a mid round pick if the player for player um, scenario doesn't work out, um, package uh, I I don't see that happening with Jake. So uh, I guess maybe the one position we haven't touched on yet, but. Is certainly going to to be important here over the next few weeks is goaltending, uh, because we've we've seen Tugarask around Warrior more on the ice for practices, morning skates, um, and you know Elmark and Swayman had both really picked up their play recently. Swayman has an off night Tuesday against Vegas, um, but how do you see this playing out? Because I think you know we sort of thought, well, you know, Rask will come back and probably have to send Swayman down. Does that still feel like the most likely scenario? Could they even yes. maybe keep, you know, three goalies at the NHL level? Uh, well, then you'd have to throw in the, the contract issue and, and salary cap issue. I think it would just be a, a little bit cleaner 
just to carry two. And yeah, that that would be the most likely uh, scenario. Swayman goes back to Providence. No no need for waivers. Allmark has a no move clause, and he's been playing good. Uh, and Rask and Allmark is is a tandem, and that doesn't hurt Jeremy. Um, he's, he hasn't been as good as he was last year, and I don't think anybody expected that just because he was so exceptional last year. But I thought he would be a little bit better than he than he has been this year. So it's been a little bit of a dip in terms of performance, but it's only going to help him to go down to to get a lot of reps in Providence, uh, get his game squared away, get some confidence, uh, technically uh, work on some things there. And then you assume that Rask is 100% healthy, and you assume that they can work out some kind of contract, and then off you go with him and Allmark, um, and away they go. So, yeah, that's that's the scenario that, that will happen. Uh, to me, it feels like, though, that dropping Swayman at this point, bringing back Rask, could create an uncomfortable situation say, when Rask comes back. Say he's not playing 100% uh, what, what they're expecting, and then you have to make another move. You have to, you know, make that decision. Do we, what do we do with Rask if we need to bring Swayman back? Yeah, there's always that that um, possibility just because you don't know with Tuca, 34 years old and hip sur- major hip surgery. Never, he's been so healthy throughout his career that he's never had any kind of situation like this. So yeah, you you can't just assume that he's going to be Vezina a top five goalie. Um, so yes, uh, you you absolutely have to to game out that scenario. Like what, what if, if in a month? Yeah, like what if in a month it's clear that Tuca isn't a better option than Swayman, and you well, ha- well, then you then end up it, in another situation. Well then, yeah, you then you then you would have to to play the best goalie. And if that's all Mark, that's all Mark. If, if they feel that, that Swayman is a better option than Tuca at that point, then you yeah, absolutely bring, bring Jeremy back and away you go. And then you carry three goalies and, and, and that's it. It's, it's, it's such a critical position. Um, it's, it's game changing. It's point stealing as we saw with all Mark out, out West against Edmonton and Calgary. So yeah, they, it's, 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 it all comes down to performance. Who are your two best goalies? And if that's Swayman and Allmark, come uh, whatever, a month, two months, then, then so be it. Uh, Fluto, I wanted to get your perspective on this because you've been around uh, a lot of Bruins locker rooms over the years, um, you know, championship-winning teams and uh, cellar dwellers and everything in between. And, um, you know, when it comes to coaching, uh, coach-player relationships, I, I am usually on the side of, you know, the onus is on the player to – you know, to to bring it every single night, and the coach can only do so much. Um, but I am curious what your read is if if there if it's worth reading into what David Backus said on a podcast recently about you know not seeing eye to eye with Cassidy. Obviously, Jake DeBrusk has his issues. Um, being around the team for so long, like, do you feel any sort of I guess um, tension between you know uh, how Cassidy runs things if he's wearing thin a little bit? Obviously, he was a breath of fresh air. For the team when he when he replaced Claude, but you know here we are five six years later. Do you think it's wearing a little thin? Uh, I, I know Bruce is very demanding, uh, especially on young players. We, clearly, we we see that with Jake. Uh, we we've seen that with uh, Bjork. We saw that a, a, a little bit with Heinen, but I think that was more of a a player in terms of Richie that they they needed in terms of a bigger body, and Denton just happened to be out the door but yeah he can be he can be tough and, and still tough on guys like carlo and frederick uh, some of these guys still looking for traction in the league so i totally can understand why um and and then with 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 david that was 
boy, to be scratched like that in the playoffs and to have your role diminished, not easy for any player, especially with a player of, of David's history, to deal with. So, yeah, it's it's uh, I can absolutely see why some players and some pockets of the team would not be satisfied with the relationship with Bruce. But then it's you look at your core players, uh, I don't think they're really complaining in terms of the Patrice, Brad, uh, Charlie McAvoy, David, uh, I, th- I think they're pretty good uh, with how uh, Bruce manages the room and, and pretty much lets the, the older veteran guys handle things. Um, that's That's been his style. Um, hands off with the older guys, uh, but certainly pressing and demanding on some, some young players. And, and uh, it's just uh, and a lot of young players today, they – haven't been coached that way. Um, so, yes, you can you can understand why there could be some tension with that kind of approach. But you look at the results, um, it's, uh, and you listen to some of the, uh, the feedback and some of the analysis around the league in terms of people who look at the Bruins, uh, a lot of acknowledgement that the coach plays a pretty big role in their year-to-year success. So there's there's always going to be some I, I think some uh, dissension in terms of that, um, especially when Bruce is he's a straight shooter. Uh, publicly, he he doesn't really hold back and 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 is not one to to filter himself. So you can expect that within the room that those players are hearing that first and and to a greater degree. Um, and that's that's not for everybody. So yeah, you, you can understand why why there's some some tension there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, personally, I don't think there's an NHL locker room where every single player is happy all the time with the, the coach's decisions. I, I think, I think that Cassidy, you know, I just think that he's a little frustrated with, um, you know, even if it's subconscious, I think he's a little frustrated with the makeup of his roster that he's been given right now, and I think their ceiling is only so high. So I think he gets a little frustrated, but then the players are only capable of so much. I do think there's a lack of, there's a lot of holes in this team, and I just think it's kind of a carousel. Um, so I think it's more personnel driven than it is, you know, anything Cassidy is or isn't doing. Uh, yeah, you look at the roster; it doesn't, especially well. You know, I guess you can't say it now; that's unfair. But yeah, when when at full strength, is it Tampa? Is it Florida? Is it Toronto? No, no, it isn't. Yeah, you, you guys have the more from Florida. Well, no. So I didn't know if you wanted to bring up the Grizzly stuff from. Uh, the Greg Hill show this morning. I don't know if Ludo saw this or if we wanted to get into this. Greg Hill says he says he heard something from someone. Doesn't get specific. Uh, that's kind of how he does things. But um, yeah, so he so Greg Hill said something about uh, he heard like there was a situation where Cassidy called out Grizzlick and I guess you know he says Bergeron felt the need to like address this with Cassidy. And so I think this sort of ties into like what we we're just talking about where. You know, is Cassidy's style starting to grate on the team or, or anything like that? And I don't know. I mean, I don't think I put a, a ton into this, especially without more details or, you know, where this is coming from. But it is interesting, especially, you know, where you just had the stretch where Cassidy was out and the team played pretty well under Joe Sacco and, and seemed to bring a pretty good effort. Um, you know, you just wonder, like, if if stuff like this can just start to, you know, multiply where there's different stuff that, that comes out or, or that's out there, um, 
and, and you know how they how they handle that as a team. I would uh, I, I hadn't heard the the Grizzly thing, but I would guess that kind of stuff in terms of coach going after a player and maybe maybe older players coming back at the coach. I would guess that happens. Um, I, I don't know about regularly, but I, I would bet it happens. Um, and I I know Bruce has even acknowledged sometimes. Uh, during the game, being in the heat at the moment and barking at guys, and, Patri- and he, he mentioned Patrice. He's, he's one to, to dial him in and say, "Okay, it's 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 cool. We got this. Uh, don't don't uh, you know, don't worry." Um, so I, I would guess that happens, but um, yeah, maybe something to monitor. Uh, I, I I wasn't aware of that one. Uh, Fluto, I actually have one more question for you. Uh, for me, before before you go, and uh, obviously we appreciate your time. Um, this is non Bruins related, but with all of the um, you know the COVID issues starting to come back, and and some some schedule postponements and delays and all that stuff. Uh, I'm I'm devastated thinking about the possibility of uh, the NHL pulling its players out of the Olympics. You think? Do you think that's uh, becoming a real real possibility? Well, from everything I, I understand, this is the players' call. Um, but it's it's kind of the the league and. Um, Everybody in, in terms of the league side is saying, "Okay, players, this is what you wanted. Um, it's 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 go or no go from you." I would guess that the majority of those guys want to go. Um, it's just the way they're wired, right? They're, by by definition, these are the best of the best, and they want to compete. And every four years, you look at a guy like Martian, uh, clearly a slam dunk for Team Canada, but has never been uh, just because of circumstances. Uh, I would bet he he would. He would kill to go over there. Um, and yes, there, it's it's you're looking at these these tough setups in terms of if you test positive and who knows what the quarantine and isolation issues there are, especially in China, where they take this stuff way seriously. But for, from what I've seen, guys want to play, they want to compete, and and the way these people are wired, they think they're invincible. Right? They they think okay, it's going to happen to somebody else. Somebody else is going to test positive. It's not going to be me. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go compete for a gold medal. I, I want to go. I would guess. Uh, I, I would. I would guess that there would be exceptions, and you could certainly understand, especially maybe if you have family that you don't want to go. But I, I would guess the majority of players will want to go. Uh, maybe it'll be out of their hands, and maybe it's just too bad of, of a situation in terms of the numbers and, and whatever. Um, maybe, maybe the whole Winter Games, who knows? Maybe maybe the whole Olympics have to be postponed. Who knows at this point? But uh, I would guess if it's the players' call, they, they would want to go. See, that was that was optimistic for a while, and then we got to the end part there, and it was like, no Olympics. Uh, you were making Brian feel better for a second. He texts us like twice a day about, uh, you know, oh, I wonder if, if we're going to get to see McAvoy in the Olympics. Uh, yeah. No, but, you, you made my holiday season, uh, Fluto. I appreciate the optimism. I think they'll go. Good. But, again, it's, it's out of, it, might be out of their, it might not be their call. Yeah. I can also see a situation where, like, some guys are going and some aren't, and, you know, you end up with, Still really good teams, but, you know, maybe a couple notable uh, omissions of players who decide yep. to stay back type thing. That's, that, yep, that's probably that, – that, that sounds just about right. Well, hope, hope, hopefully uh, Brian Gianta's not doing much in February if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want that um, So, actually, so I will wrap up with uh, – speaking of, you know, being on the road, I'll circle back to that. And, and I got to – no, because I and Fluto, I enjoy you know your your tweets and uh, you know when you include in some of your articles stuff about uh, your 
food adventures on the road. I have to know, what is Fluto's favorite road trip? Well, I was really looking forward to this one, the Montreal, Ottawa, because I do like the drive. So are we. Like, uh, especially, it's not, it doesn't look like the roads are crazy um, before real winter up there. So I like that one because I, I like to stop in Vermont and all that. And there's a couple of places in Montreal and Ottawa that I like. So Poutine. I am looking forward to this one. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Uh, it's a green light all around and everybody is healthy and the border is open and everything is good. Um, so, uh, uh, but again, it's day by day, hour by hour. We'll see. But I, I do like going to Montreal. And Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. Game. I was going to make Scott split a beer towel with me when we got there. <laughs> yeah, <it'll be>. yep. <laughs> good, good. I was going to make you stop at breweries on the way. So that's fine. <laughs> so was I, yeah. Oh my God. We'd be great road trip partners. Uh, well, uh, Fluto, thank you very much for your time. Um, you know, obviously you know, you're one of the most reliable in the business and, uh, you know, your, uh, your stuff with the athletic is, you know, second to none. And, um, you know, thanks for your time and, uh, hope you have a, uh, you know, a good holiday. My pleasure guys. Thanks. So obviously thanks to Fluto for joining. Um, ladies first, Bridget, we'll start with you. What was your, uh, your biggest takeaway from our combo with them? Uh, well, I wrote down a few things while he was talking just to make sure like I, you know, remembered exactly what he said quote him as accurately as I could um I think not in not in terms of like obviously the COVID stuff right now is the thing that's affecting the team the most but they they need to figure out this Jake DeBrus situation and it doesn't sound like it's going to happen um so basically at this point it kind of sounds like maybe we should stop talking about oh you know who they are they going to trade for this player a one for one for DeBrus it kind of sounds like um it might be off the table in like indefinitely um from what he was saying yeah i just think this you know we've really seen all this stuff with codes really spike over the last week even like last four days so even just from you know two weeks ago when we heard about debrus trade request so much has changed um and yeah i think it does affect it because the bruins now are realizing how much their depth is being tested. Uh, they can't afford to trade him for something other than a roster player. Like, you're not going to trade away someone who, whatever his faults, which, you know, are many, can play in your lineup every night, can move up to the third line when you need him, um, you know, might even be on the second line now I, with I would think. COVID absences. Like, you're not just going to trade him for a pick because then your your already thin roster gets even thinner. Like that just doesn't make sense. Your your team that's in playoff position, um, you know that is still your goal. So you need to do something that you can't do something that's going to hurt you now. Like it, it's got to get something in return that's going to help help you out at least give you another body and. To Flu's point about like other teams, uh, you know, other teams are going to be hesitant to to trade guys too. Like it, it's there's a pause around Christmas, anyways, in terms of roster freezes and, and transactions. And I to Flu's point, like yeah, he's probably right. Like there's probably going to be very little action around the league because teams are just. I think everyone's kind of just sitting on pins and needles every day and wondering like, who are we going to be without now? Uh, like, Oh, we're facing this team who just had a situation. Like, what do you think Vegas is thinking right now? Like they come in here, 
They play a Bruins team that's had three tests in the last two days, three positives in the last two days. Or I guess, you know, as Fluto pointed out, we can't assume that they're positives because they don't tell us. But most likely that's what it is. You know, I'm sure Vegas doesn't feel great. Like, now they're back out on the road. They're going somewhere else. And now they're going to, whoever they're playing next, like, it's, every team is just it's like. It's like telephone. They're yeah. like, they're like. Yeah. Talk, talking up to someone else's ear, and then the COVID just keeps going in a line. But to the point, of, back to the point of Jake DeBrusque, the timing has just never been right. Like he has wanted out reportedly for a while, and they were trying at the deadline. Um, you know, it seemed like that would have been a good time to move him. Nothing happens then, and now the timing once again has just kind of changed things with the COVID, and, and it's just still not the right time. And I don't know if he's out of here until the off season. Well, to your point, Bridget, I think that's a, I think that's very accurate. I think because of the Marshan suspension uh, coinciding with Providence's COVID outbreak at the time that the requ- the request came out, um, they weren't able to to strike while the iron was hot, right? Like other teams around the league, you know, they had a couple drinks, they were feeling pretty good, they were gonna go talk to the girl at the bar, and now it's kind of like they're sobering up and they're like, oh, it's a good thing I didn't go talk to that girl because she probably would have shut me down, right? And so. I just think teams have come to their senses, and unfortunately, you know, like, now COVID is, as Scott said, is kind of like, yeah, it's ramping back up a little bit throughout the league, and, um, you know, the worst thing, the worst case scenario for the Bruins, I mean, it's not like it's unsalvageable, but, like, you don't, you didn't want to get to the trade deadline and have him just be one of a million players that are expendable at the deadline. Now, it's like the whole point of interest around the league early was, was because it was, it's not often that you have a, a player with talent saying, like, I want out this early in the season. Teams usually wait till to see who's playoff contenders or pretenders and whatnot. And now, um, that mystique about DeBrusque or that, that incentive, I should say, to get him early is kind of like dwindling. And is there, and Scott, is there a freeze, uh, a roster freeze during the Olympics too? Uh, good question. I would guess probably. I don't know that for a fact, but that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and, you know, I guess, did, you mentioned like, there's been time periods where they could have potentially traded him in the past. Well, this is also, you know, how you motivate DeBrusque and try to get this message through to him that you've got to keep playing. You've got to play well. Like you've got to bring it every night. And I know, I know you don't want to be here. I know you're not happy, but the only way teams get interested enough to like actually strike a deal is if you're playing well and they're confident that they're getting a good player. Um, you know, the reason that things probably haven't worked in the past, whether it was last trade deadline or the off season, is I think the interest was very tepid. I think it was teams, you know, poking around, shooting Sweeney a text, but not willing to commit much because DeBrusque's value was totally in the tank. Like, you know, he was he had played poorly uh, leading up to the COVID pause in 2020 wasn't great in the bubble outside of like one game against Carolina and then really struggled last year. So why, why would any team have like jumped at that opportunity um, and given up anything of value? And it's the same same thing now. Like why would they do it now unless he's playing well? So that's somehow you've got to try to get that through to DeBrusque and he's going to take it to heart because, you know, if he's kind of, if he's going through the motions and he's not playing that well, then he's not helping himself get out of here and, and get to another team. And to the to the point Fluto made about COVID, now say you had 10 teams at the table that wanted to make a deal, but some of those 
teams were only offering a prospect and a draft pick or or whatever it may be. Those deals are off the table, aren't they now? Like if you if you're really trying to preserve your depth, you're not going to go trade him for, you know, X prospect and, you know, whatever draft pick. Yeah. It, it probably narrows your your options down to maybe two two teams or or so and then what are you going to do? You're not going to you're not pitting anyone against each other. Like, oh, well, this team's offering us that. They're like, okay, well, then we'll offer you less. Like, it's, they're not going to be able to bargain in that if that's the case. Yeah, and, and also, like, just, you know, example, you know, 1 million and you know, 5,000 as to why uh, the Bruins are their own worst enemy sometimes is, you know, DeBrusque requests a, tr- a trade, and, uh, you know, he goes out and gets a game-winning goal in Nashville, Scores a, a goal in Edmonton, which for a while stood as the game-winning goal. And, you know, like, like there was a little bit of, like, value there. that, And they they weren't able to come to terms with anybody. Furthermore, the reason they're, the, they're their own worst enemy is because they go into Vancouver when they were probably one of the teams that was like, you know what, this season's done. Let's try to, you know, maybe release some guys in a trade that aren't here long term and maybe get to Brusque and some assets in return, whatever. And the Bruins and, and the Canucks go on a five game winning streak after hiring Bruce Boudreau, and the Bruins were victim number one. So the Bruins helped the Canucks, who was a potential uh, trading partner, they helped them, they catapult them to a, a winning streak. And now, you know, they're only like, with games, they have more games played, but they're only like four points out of a wild card now in the West. And now their season's back on. You know what? The DeBrusque market is like the stock market. It just goes up. And then when COVID comes, it crashes and like, it just goes up and down and you just never, you never know when to invest. So no one can, can quite figure it out. Can we make a DeBrusque NFT? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, yeah. If you, if you know how, I, I, <laughs> I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, Scott, do you have any, any thoughts on, on, the brass to finish up that topic. No, I think it, you know, like we said, like it's it's most likely not going to happen now. The Bruins are not in a position to be able to really make a trade right now, and uh, I think you just kind of kind of have this uncomfortable relationship going forward for a little bit. You know, Bruce Cassidy, um, Pat, or actually not paraphrase. He actually got the quote exactly correct, which was remarkable. Um, quoting Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers coach. And said so the other night, you know, when he was asked about it, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's always better to have volunteers than hostages. You know, you don't, you don't want players who don't want to be here. Um, but the Bruins are in a bind. The doesn't seem like the market's really there. So both sides have to try to make it work. And it's, it's not ideal. And obviously both know that it's ending at some point. But until then, like, it is in both's best interest to make this work at least as much as they can. And I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know. You know, I don't know if Cassidy's going to have the patience if DeBrusque's game goes south and he starts to have a couple off games. Like, And I, I have a few few thoughts on that the Cassidy situation we were talking about um, with, you know, the comments from Bacchus and the rumor about, you know, maybe him being too hard on – Grizzlick and Bergeron wanting to um, address that. Brian texted us earlier. You know, at what point do you, do you think Cassidy's losing the losing the room at all? Is there any sign of that? You asked Fluto. Um, I know you have thoughts on that, Brian, too. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I'm not one of those people who likes to blame the coach. I, I, I really do think, like, it's the onus is on the players, you know, more often times than not. You know, I think I think a coach... But look, you you think that it is it is happening. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think that there is some friction there. Um you know, like 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 the David Backus example. You know, at the time, I remember going into game 7 against St. Louis and thinking to myself, you have a, a proven guy in this league who would feel no greater motivation than to win a Stanley Cup in game 7 against a team he captained for 10 years mm-hmm. and he got scratched for Carson Kuhlman, who look, if you go back in time, scored a game a game six goal. So like I, there were reasons for it. I'm just saying like Bacchus, you know, he, he was on the O and he talked about, uh, on a St. Louis podcast, how he and Cassidy had different, um, you know, views on how the game should be played. And I think, you know, one of the responsibilities for a coach is to understand, you know, what kind of player somebody is and, you know, not try to change what made them successful. And so I think that happened with David Backus. With Jake DeBrusque, I think it was just like, you're not showing me effort, kid. And that kind of snowballed. So to answer your question, Bridget, like there's different reasons for different players. Um, But I do think that Cassidy's transparency and and the way he kind of wears on players, um, I think think it's not taken well by, by some. And that's not necessarily like Cassidy's fault. Like sometimes players are just like kind of pampered this day and age, like this generation... Um, and yeah, but but younger players are used to be treating different, being treated differently than that. They're not used to being like attacked in public or or in front of their own teammates. They probably don't expect that as much. It's not how people parent. It's not really how people coach um, young kids um, right now. So maybe it's something that they haven't they haven't seen before. They or at least not like so publicly have experienced or in front of their teammates like a, in rather than just one on one. Yeah, and, and what I would say to that, and I agree, um, but what I would say to that is um, this is not one of those situations, I believe, where a coaching change would do much. Like, I don't think this – It's like I said to Fluto, it's – like you've seen in Vancouver. Vancouver gets rid of Travis Green, they bring in Bruce Boudreaux, and now they've won five straight, which is a small sample. But Vancouver has a ton of talent. Um, the Bruins, again, outside of the obvious guys, I don't think the personnel on this roster – is a great one. They don't really do anything particularly well. Like they're not very big, they're not very fast, not very skilled. They're they're okay at like everything. And I just think that if you bring in Scott McLaughlin or Herb Brooks to coach them, we're winning the Stanley Cup. You're probably winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, what am I talking about? <laughs> but if you replace Cassidy with with, with um, you know some somebody else, I don't see that that person. Joe Sacco. I don't I don't see Joe Sacco turning Eric Hall into a 30 goal scorer or or Curtis Lazar into a 20 goal scorer. It's not these players are who they are at this point. So uh, this, that's why this team's kind of stuck. I tend to agree. Um, you know, I don't think Cassidy is the problem. I think, to a point you, you made earlier, the roster is the problem. Um, and his frustration is being taken out in that way. Yeah. That said, like, I'm not calling for Cassidy to be fired. I don't think that's what needs to happen. But sometimes that change does spark something. And, and sometimes... You know, it's maybe not fair to the coach, and, you know, you wish there were other ways <laughs> to address after... it, but, but sometimes it works. Like, you know, look, I, I'll i count myself here, and I'm not, I know I'm not alone. I didn't think Claude Julian should have been fired at the time. Like, I thought that was a mistake. I didn't think that was the team's problem. I didn't think he was the problem. I thought he was a good coach. I still think Claude Julian was a great coach. Um, 
but there's no doubt that like it worked for that team. It was what they for whatever reason they'd gotten stale or they had tuned Claude out or whatever it was that change sparked something. And and when Cassidy came in, it was like a, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, it, look, he's. Would you know, it not be? It's not going to happen this week. I mean, it would be. No. It wouldn't because were you going to fire a guy that just came back from being out with COVID? He hasn't been even been around the team physically for two weeks. No. Um, and I by the wanna... way, the performance last game. Let's, if we want to get into that, they were. I mean, they were jet lagged or or whatever it was. They were exhausted from the travel. They well, had this COVID situation on the back of their minds. They were clearly uh, off to a slow start. I know that was one game you hope is just like, just wash your hands yeah. of it and it's behind you. So I'll save that for a second. I just want to touch on Bacchus real quick because okay. I also want to point out that like David Bacchus, his first off, he was brought in under clothes. So he wasn't brought in to fit Bruce Cassidy's system. So naturally there could be some you know, the fit could be not great when you get a new coach in for, for certain players. Secondly, David Backus, the last, I think his first year in Boston was fine. It wasn't what people expected or hoped for, but he was useful. Second year, okay, but clearly starting to decline. And then his last couple of years here, like, he clearly didn't have anything left in the tank. So I, I do think, like, there's some his comments to me did come across a little bit as like him not really owning the fact that his game had declined. Like, like there didn't seem to be an awareness there that he just wasn't the player he used to be. I think he thought that if he had more time to recover from his injury and, and work, work out and, um, you know, be, just be part of what they were dealing with, that he would have been able to fight his way back in is kind of what it sounded like. And I think he, at that point had already become so, like upset with the organization he was going to see it through a negative lens and he wasn't was kind of going to look at it like okay why did they snub me like that yeah and also when he talks about how you know he wants to play dump and chase go in bang on the four check and you know he said he had to try to carry the puck in or whatever and it was more about possession through the neutral zone it's like well yeah that was kind of an important part of the coaching change from Claude to Cassidy like they weren't generating enough offense under Claude, and that system wasn't working. And part of bringing in Cassidy was it was going to be more of a skating puck possession system. And that helped. Like, we can debate whether it's still working now or whether it, you know, needs to be changed now. But at the time, like, that helped. And that was a reason that the Bruins started producing more offense. So, you know, and you can't really... I mean, you can, I guess you can, but, like, you're not going to go player-by-player player on the roster and be like, okay, you know, you can skate with it through the neutral zone, and uh, you were going to let play the old way. Like, it has to be a team mindset. So, yes, that might leave certain players kind of left out of the new system, the new style. And it certainly seems like Bacchus was one of those guys who just got left out because, you know, that, that hadn't really been his game before. And at that point in his career, it certainly wasn't going to become his game. All due respect to David Backus, you know, I think when he was talking on, um, I'm trying to remember what, the Cam and Strick podcast, it's uh, Cam Jansen. Yeah, and Andy Strickland, Andy Strickland. yeah. Um, you know, he look, he, was, he had a platform where he felt comfortable kind of venting some sour grapes, right? At the end of the day, the Bruins were 
that team went to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, like, I don't really have an issue with how Bacchus was, was used or, or not used with with that team and that system. The only second guess I have looking back, and again, this is not a podcast to discuss 2019, but, you know, the only David Bacchus second guess was, you know, in a Game 7 Stanley Cup environment, could he could, could his present could could a puck have gone off his shin padded in at some point in that game against the Blues and maybe could have could a four check have led to something different? But that's the only second guess, and it's not really worth yeah bashing can, it against the wall yeah, about that. Can he bring energy in that first period when they're lacking right. it? Like, like consider, consider who they were they were playing a team he captained for ten years in the game seven of the finals on his home ice. I mean, like, come on, like so. That's the only second guess. I'm not second guessing him not playing in February of that year. Like, I don't care. He also played a ton with David Krejci, so like he had his chances. But um, regardless, so, so I guess to, to my closing thought on Cassidy is like, look, is it is it the chef's fault that you know the restaurant manager gets food from a shitty supplier? Like at the end of the day, like the chef has to you know prepare the food the best he can. But like if the goods aren't you know that great, then it's what it is. And I don't I don't think a different chef changes it. I hear what you're saying. It does. It can be a spark. This team in particular, like this bottom six, I just don't. They they aren't gifted goal scorers or playmakers. So like they're not. No system's going to magically turn these guys into globe trotters, and um, that that's where I that's where I end up with Cassidy. I, I think I think I don't think he's you know to blame for everybody has blame to go around, but I don't think he's the biggest issue, uh, not by a long shot. No, and there's a few other things that we want to get into before we um, head out. So I want to touch on again the RAS conversation, uh, the goaltending conversation, uh, and obviously Fluto said it. We already know dropping Swayman and an all mark grass tandem would make the like he said the the cleanest um move for the Bruins but I just feel uneasy about it and I want to hear what you guys say about that so I tend to lean towards it's better to have more goaltending better to have too much goaltending than not enough so you you are a proponent of the three keeping three yeah because you have that flexibility with Swayman where you can send him down and you don't have to worry about waivers. You don't have to worry about anything. And, you know, look, while Swimming has had some great games this season for sure, um, especially over the last few weeks, he, he's he been good, I would say, on the whole this season. But, and by the way, I would say the same thing about Elmark, who's who has really picked up recently for sure, but for the season as a whole has been fine, stellar. Um but those guys haven't run away with this in the way where, like, you would sit there and go, no, we don't need any help at goaltending. We're all set. Like, thanks, but no thanks, Tuka. You know, we just don't have the space. We have the, one of the best goaltending tandems in the league, and we're good to go. That really hasn't been the case. Now, you still have, you know, probably at least a couple weeks, maybe another month before you have to make this decision and get Rask signed. Um, So we'll see. You know, maybe that changes if, both of these guys get hot or, you know, keep playing well and, um, you know, look like two goalies who can be an elite tandem. But it's been, I kinda there's feel been a like... little too much inconsistency. So I think that just that makes it easier to say, could Rask help? Yeah, yeah, maybe he could. You know, let's see let's see where he's at. And because you have that flexibility with Swayman, it, as long as you're not worried about, like, Swayman's mental makeup, like, that would be the... That would be the one thing you have to take into account, obviously, is, like, is sending Swayman down going to, you know, break him, going to 
get him down and you know all of a sudden he's in the dumps and he's going down to Providence moping around. He doesn't strike me as that kind of player um, or person, I should say. Um, so, and I think the Bruins probably feel that way too. So I think you can do that and overall strengthen your team, strengthen your goaltending position uh, and not, you know, not really hurt Swayman's development. To me at this point, it kind of feels like Rask joining the team is like a foregone conclusion. I, I don't, I, you said, well, if Allmark and Swayman really run away with it, I still think they add Rask. I really think that they, you, you look at what happened in October, November, December, the goaltending was inconsistent. I think they already made up their mind that they're bringing Rask in, and then you have to deal with, you know, how to juggle it from there. Uh, inconsistent is the key word. I think, I think uh, Swayman, is, he's been a little too inconsistent. Uh, he's had some phenomenal games. Nashville comes to mind. Um, he played he played phenomenal in a losing effort um, over in Vancouver. Um, but you know he he also you know he he didn't play well last night against uh, Vegas. Uh, like look, some bad puck luck. Absolutely. Did his teammates pick him up? Did his, were his teammates you know were they moving their feet all game? Nope. Um, you know Taylor Hall's pissing me off. I think there's a lot of passengers in this team. But if you I. I like I'll admit this. Like I, I think I, I don't. Th- Swayman's he hasn't been he hasn't been um, you know as as good consistently as I, as I think he's capable of being. So I, I I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't hate the idea as long as Tuke is you know good to go and and, and he shows in, in in reps that he can play at, at a high level still. I don't think Swayman to what Scott said. We'll get two down in the dumps, and I also don't think he—he's only a phone call away. Like, there's a big difference in my mind be, between Swayman going down to Providence, and like we were talking before the podcast, like Stanika. The difference is Swayman's had his chance in Boston, so if he were to go down, you know, he can look at certain games, certain film, and be like, you know what, this is probably what they're seeing, and, and I understand it. There's room for me to grow. There's rebound control I can I can I can improve on. There's this. There's that. Um, you know, I think he's been. I think he's been good. Like, I, I think he's he, he he has not been bad. But I, I, he hasn't he hasn't played so elite to the point where I'm like, no. I mean, he, you can't move him. The problem the Bruins got themselves into is even if he was Ken Dryden out there, they would still be in a situation where if they want to bring Rass back, chances are they'd have to move, put it on to Providence. So the Bruins are kind of fortunate that Swayman look has looked human at points this year because and showed signs of his youth because. Either way, if he was Ken Dryden or if he was average, they'd have to probably move him down to make room for Rass. So, so they're kind of fortunate that he, that he had a bad game against Vegas and a couple other, you know, mediocre performances. And Allmark played really well in Calgary and Edmonton too. So, um, the goaltending situation, like you got three capable goalies, that that, that, that the goaltending situation is the least of their problems. It's, just, it's actually one of their yeah. only strengths. Yeah, and I would also point out that now with COVID issues returning, even more reason to have depth and to have three goalies mm. that you can count on because. You don't want to get into a situation in March where, uh, you know, one of your goalies tests positive and maybe has symptoms and he's out at least 10 days. And we know the Bruins' schedule is crazy, so now you're playing maybe six games in 10 days and you only have one goalie you trust or you're going down to Providence for, you know, someone with minimal, with really no NHL experience. Didn't they Um, recall Kaiser the other day? And then they sent him back down. Yeah, without. that it might have been it might have been a paper transaction. I don't think he was actually like, at any practices or anything. But um, 
but yeah, so even more reason to have three goalies because who knows? Like, who knows when you're going to lose one when you're going to be without one for a week, so. And I, I say just keep them in completely different rooms. Like, don't even let them see each other. The, like, if one they like, might, they, So they might be going back. Like, they might have to start going back to some of these protocols yeah. from last year, which they haven't had. But, yeah, that was one of them. Like, goalies were separated last season. They were in different meeting rooms and different parts of the locker room. And I, I think that it's it's time for the Bruins with the situation they're in. Especially with, I know that this didn't turn out to be anything, but they had a testing issue, quote-unquote testing issue with Allmark. Yeah. And that's why he was taken out and why Swayman played against Vegas because it was actually Allmark that was uh, slated to start. So I think they're already should be nervous. And if they're not taking precautions, if even if it's not mandatory, just kind of keep them separate. Um, I'm a, I want to bring up a, one optimistic uh, point real quick. Um, obviously, Bergeron and Martian and Craig Smith, Worst case scenario, if they don't cancel any games, they can miss five slash six of the next games, depending yep. on which play we're talking about. So, unless the Bruins get shut out in five or six straight games, somebody's going to have to be scoring <laughs> for them, which means somebody's going to be getting confidence and somebody's going to be getting going. Please and, let that be Taylor Hall. Uh, yeah, Please. Taylor Hall. And also, um, I think you'll get some players, hopefully, um, to put to put on the spoke to be that otherwise wouldn't. So I'm talking about Jack Stanika, Oscar Steen, a couple guys who played a couple of games this year. I wouldn't hate seeing Jesper Frodin get a get a crack. Like, you know, the Bruins offense has been so bad this year. Truly. And, and, and the oh, one venting thing real quick. Okay. No offense, Scott, and I don't think you're the 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 one who does this, but I see it all over the place. This stat and maybe you can say what it is, like the the goals expected this that. Like there's a bunch oh. of stat Scott does that. It's but to me, I don't like those stats because it all that says it's 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 a paraphrase for coulda shoulda woulda. Like it doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean anything. Like it's just so, basically keeping track of those. Yeah, like shots, yeah, well, shots for shots in dangerous areas. I get that, but there's one specific stat where it's like it, goals expected per six. It's like what does that even mean? Like it it, it didn't happen, and and like. You know what I mean? It's that it doesn't really mean much to me. And now you're, gonna, I, I now, now you're pissing off Scott. Yeah, let's fight. <laughs> so, um, you want to go? No, I, I think expected goals is uh, a very telling stat because it, it tells us like the quality of goals that are expected, the quality of chances <laughs> being created, and basically what you know, all things equal, basically what like an average team would score with the kind of chances and the number of chances that you're getting. What it tells us in the Bruins case where they're expected goals number is high and their actual goals number is low is something we all know which is that this team can't finish like there is right. there is not a ton of finishing talent which is how so, brian will phrase it rather than well, expected goals but that's kind of my point like that all it i already know like i already know that you can you can get a shot from the slot but you know if if, if it's if it's curtis lazar i know it's not going in so it's a personnel thing like you know what i mean I, that's why i don't push too much stock in it with the bruins because it's like you can give them all breakaways. Most of them won't score. Like it, it's because the personnel is not good. So my, the reason I get um, uh, combative is because like the stats out there, as if like, calm down. It's okay, Bruins fans. Like they're getting the right shots. They'll go in eventually. No, they won't because it's the players aren't capable of doing it. Yeah, I wrote something about this like early in the season. It's probably, I don't know. It was probably like a month and a half in, and went into a bunch of those. And because people had been saying that, like. You know, like, I'm not going to worry about them. Look at the expected goals numbers. And you're right. They need contacts because, by the way, the Bruins last year had really good expected goals numbers and really bad actual goals numbers. Like, 
or at least they did until they got Taylor Hall. Like then they had a second line and things picked up a bit. But yeah, like at some point when that happens year after year where you're not scoring as many goals as quote unquote expected, <laughs> it's pretty clear like there's a roster issue there. Like there's a reason why you're underperforming and it's because you don't have finishers. And we know that because we look at this roster and they have one line of talented offensive players. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> and Scott, uh, Brian, thank you for leading us down this road. Scott was actually it. commending me earlier because I was on Natural Stat Trick um, grabbing stats, and let's see if Brian likes these. So the so you mentioned they they only have you know that that top line is the is the elite line, second line, more of a third line um, by most people's counts. But when you take Marshawn and Bergeron out now, you're le- we're we're talking about you know. A completely different situation. You're probably going to see Hall with Coyle and Pasternak. That's untested, untried. Um, and when you take Bergeron out of the lineup and Martian out of the lineup, you're taking up you're taking out the guys that get the most minutes, um, and you're taking out the guys that get the most time on the penalty kill and the power play. Right. And Bergeron's your top um, power play goal scorer. I mean, you just go through the stats, and you're you're just pulling. Okay, high danger chances. Here, here we go, Scott. Uh, Bergeron has the most high danger chances on the team. He's got 31 and the most high danger chances on the power play, 13. And that's by a lot because the next highest is DeBrusque with five. So on the power play, it's a huge blow. Obviously, to not have Marshawn, but Bergeron even more so. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you're telling me, if, if somebody's tweeting out or, or, or you know reporting Bergeron's expected goals for per 60 and what his high danger shots are or Martian or Pashnak, yeah, that's that's those are players where, okay, yeah, if they keep getting these chances, they're going to put them in. Like, that's fine. But don't – stop tell, stop stop saying this stuff when they're losing to the Rangers 5-2 at home. They're losing to the Flames 5 nothing. They're losing to Detroit 2-1. It's okay. Uh, Bruins goals for expected per 60 is uh, – you know, it's like, shut up. No, it's not. No sex, not scoring. Frederick's not scoring. Okay, maybe maybe once every thirty-two games somebody will put one in on those lines, but and and that's my point though. Like with Bergeron and Marchando, somebody's gonna have to score unless it gets shut out. And you know, to be optimistic for a second, like perhaps some of these younger guys can get a chance to at least show something because this is a very crucial part of the season. If these guys are up five six games, they're a wild card bubble team right now with games in hand. Well, these are your games in th- you know in theory these could be your games in hand that you're making up, and you're down your top you know, two of your top players. So, you know, they could, if, if to Bridget's point about uh, with, with, with Fluto, like how many points would be acceptable for them out of this trip? And you would have to, I mean, be, if, they, be. if none of this was going on, you'd say six, like these are three teams you should beat exactly. uh, six, but I'm surprised uh, four is what you'd like, but I'm not sure that that's what they'll get. Because if you look at the standings now, like early on, it was like, all right, the Bruins are down in the Atlantic, like, you know, eight to t- 10 points, but they have like, you know, they have like 20 points that they can make up if they win all the games in hand. If the Bruins win all their games in hand right now against the teams in their division, like they're still beneath those teams, like, or, or, or maybe tied with some, but like my point is like, you know, their winning percentage is not so high that like when they make these, make up these games, like they'll be surpassing these teams. Like they have to win these games. And And the main reason is just that five on five, like five on five, they have some of the worst stats in the league. Uh, They're the uh, fourth worst team. Uh, in goals for five on five, uh, they're they're towards they're towards the bottom of the league. They're they're relying on their power play for for offense, and they're just not. And that just reflects on the fact that the roster is not. It's it's just not. How's, how's contributing their, the bottom? 
How's their core? How's their Corsi on that site? You know what? You know what? You know what? You know You know a stat that I that I put a lot of merit in, and it seems to be like the Bruins are pretty low in this category is power plays per game. I don't think the Bruins get a lot of power. I, I could be wrong. I haven't checked this, but like I feel like especially the last four or five games, they're averaging like a, a like a power play and a half per game, and to me that tells me that they're not. Despite how easy it is to get a slashing call these days, like usually the team that moves their feet gets more power play opportunities, and they haven't been getting those. So, like, those are those are stats. That, like, Scotty's I, looking I, it I up for you. In. I can look it up if we get a few more minutes. But yeah, th- I mean, you also you draw penalties by going hard to the net, and you know, by <laughs> like by actually getting to dangerous areas and putting the defense in position to for where they get desperate chances. trying to defend you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so there there is. Uh, I, I, sorry, Scott, if there's anything you want to say about that, but there is one thing that I wanted to talk about before we wrap up, which was we haven't talked at all oh, about defense. I, I, one point I just wanted to make quickly, since we were mentioning the power play and how much they're going to miss Bergeron in particular. You know who has experience playing in the bumper? Jack Stanika. I thought you were going to say Jack Edwards. No. Uh, Stanika's played in the... Get him out there with Scott. Stanika's been the primary bumper guy in Providence for a couple yeah. of years. So. It's going to be me, Cause you're Scott, miss, you're and missing Jack your, Edwards' new second line. You're missing your second bumper guy, too, because Craig Smith plays there in the second unit. So. Yep. Yeah. Craig Smith chopping broccoli out there. Um, <laughs> so the, the one thing we yeah, haven't talked defense, about at yeah. all is defense. Like We didn't even talk to Fluto about it. Um, and I mean, I guess it's a good thing. Like, they're not such a problem where we were like, oh, my God, what's going on with the defense? But the something that's like, drove me crazy recently was when when uh, Bruce Cassidy sat Mike Riley. And to me, it like I just tried to understand it for a while. And I just I don't understand the message. Obviously, it seems more like this is a message being sent than because of his stats, because he's his stats. He's like top two on the team and in, in a lot of the offensive categories and he's uh it it just doesn't make sense to me you're playing John Moore over Riley to 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 make what point well also and, and they already sat him earlier so like what, and, and to make it matters even more confusing is uh John Moore leads the team in ice time against Vegas and now yeah. he's sent back down to Providence so it's just you know there's no there's real no direction with this decor what I what I can well, say Well that that was that was we're not getting Charlie McAvoy injured so we'll just throw all those uh, minutes at uh, John Moore That's a good point that's a good point um but you know, and I'll let Scott go off on this I guess but you know the only thing By I'll the way, say penal- about penalties be, drawn Bruins actually not terrible 14th and penalties drawn per 60 minutes What's at Edmonton? Uh, they got to be up there. No, they're probably not because Connor McDavid gets hacked like all the time and they doesn't get calls. Oh, uh, Edmonton's twenty second. Whoa, I would have thought yeah. they were higher than the Bruins. Yeah, but, like there's this whole thing and it's been covered a ton by like Edmonton and Canadian media, but Connor McDavid gets like hacked all the time and doesn't get calls because it's like the refs are like. He it's can almost, handle it's, it. It's almost like they think, like, well, how else are you supposed to defend him? And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, you, you can't defend him without taking penalties. But anyways, complete, that's for the Oilers podcast we're doing later. So, <laughs> um, so back to the Mike Riley point. Uh, Scott, did you have anything to say about that? No. You're right. No? Like, uh, clearly, clearly there's some message that Cassidy wants to send. I, The message earlier this season when he sat Riley was that he wanted him to go forward and be quicker getting up ice, whether that was passing, skating, um, be more assertive 
and use your speed. Because uh, Riley was playing too hesitant. So I don't know if that's if that's the case again. I, I don't think with well, everything what, else going on, Cassidy's really talked what, about this much. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, like, obviously, you're not... There's only one situation where you would play John Moore over Mike Riley, and that is if you needed a penalty killer. Because John Moore, you know, whatever else you want to say about him, like, he can kill penalties. He can do that. And Riley doesn't do that much. So that would be the only situation, but... Tuesday night against Vegas, you had all your regular penalty killers. Forbort was in there. Carlo was in there. Uh, you had Clifton in the lineup who kills a lot. McAvoy, who's been more involved on the PK this year. Like, I don't, I don't think you didn't need John Moore for that. So I don't know. And I'm pretty wh- sure really why you did that. I'm pretty sure you could just tell Riley, hey, you remember what we talked about? You know, we, we told you you need to be quicker in transition. Why did you need to send him up to the ninth floor again? I don't understand it. And he's one of your best offensive defensemen. He's able. He's one of the only guys who you can always tell when he, when he shoots on D. He's shooting for like the pads. He's shooting to get a rebound, and he gets shots through. So he's created a lot of rebound chances out front. Um, and w- here's another good one for you, Brian. Uh, when he when he's on the ice, he has twice as uh, his team has twice as many high danger chances as uh, the other team does. So he's team created 80 high danger chances to 40. Uh, when he's on the ice, the team's, you know, good offensively, and he contributes to that. So I'm going through all these stats, and it, it doesn't make all that much sense to me. Um, you know, his his power play, his penalty kill, his even strength, whatever you want to look at, it didn't warrant him being taken out of the lineup, in my opinion. It, it could be something that we just aren't privy to. It could be something, uh, you know, very technical, system-oriented uh, system that he's not doing or not grasping that Cassidy wants him to be grasping in his own zone. It could be something like that um, because, you know, nothing to the eye test told me he should have been, you know, scratched. Um, and, you know, overall, like this Bruins decor is not, you know, certainly not one of the, you know, most talented in the league, uh, one through six, or two through six. Um, but they have been keeping teams to the outside, and they structurally they have been defending well. So, you know, un- until until the trade deadline comes and goes, and I kind of see if they're able to get that top six center um, and maybe add somebody else. You know, right now I'm down on this team, but later in the year, I try not to judge a team's playoff potential as long as they're hanging around the playoff picture. I don't try to judge them until I know their final roster, but right now, um, this is a big week coming up for them. they got to get some points here uh, with a depleted roster as, as long as games don't get canceled going forward. But um, And Scott and I still have to decide probably in the next few hours whether or not we're going to Montreal. Well, I mean... I want to go still. What, what, what's the fear that you, that you would, Scott that said you would it, contract COVID or like you would go and the game would be canceled? Like, probably cancellation. That, and I also feel like it's just almost gonna be a, a point like i don't think there's gonna be any advantage to going really like with, with you've never been to the uh bell center i before. see that's why i want to go true go enjoy the but game be a fan he, he doesn't know how to look at this in a non-work way, way we're going the, to breweries we're going to the bell center there's also we're gonna a, eat poutine there's also a chance that montreal reduces capacity by then we just saw ontario do it uh on wednesday so quebec could follow suit pretty pretty soon um I think in-person media availability, availability, I fear, is going to be going away, and we're going to be back on Zoom calls, which sucks, and I'm not looking forward to. Um, I don't know. I'm. I, I told these guys I'm kind of, especially when it comes to stuff like this. I'm a pessimist by nature, so yeah, he's not been. Fun. This is this is the the pessimi- pessimism in me getting getting the better of me and thinking that 
all of this is just going to kind of fall apart. And like, See, that's, that's... We're, we're, we're going to be halfway through Vermont, and the game's going to get postponed. And then we'll just grab a beer and, you know, turn around. I don't know. <laughs> but, no, and I'm the opposite of Scott. I always think, like, oh, you know what? It's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good uh, mindset to have, Bridget. So um, that's why we haven't made a decision yet. One, uh, one, one comment for me before we go. How mu- how many yards is a taunting pe- penalty in football? Do you know? Uh, fifteen. Yeah, I think it's All fifteen. Right. All right, fifteen. to Team USA Hockey for taunting me with their uh, World Juniors uniforms. Did you see those bad boys? <laughs> no. Yeah, Are you tweeted about. No, they 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 only showed the helmets. Yeah, but but they're teasing the. Yeah. What they're actually. You can wear. tell by the helmet they're wearing the the development programs the set that you yeah. and I want for the Olympics. Yeah. So just just a little fifteen for taunting. Um, because they're rocking with the uh, World Juniors, but not the Olympics. That's all I have for fashion, though. I don't want to get into it. Well, we don't even know if there's going to be Olympics, Brian, so. That's true. That's true. All right, I'm good. You guys good? Yeah, actually, so one last thing I was just oh, going to mention. Oh, here we go. One last All right, you guys finish up. I'm going to take off. <laughs> was, no, it was just, so we kind of touched, touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, after the game Tuesday night, Taylor Hall said, you know, they're not, they can't use COVID as an excuse. And even though he acknowledged that, it was disheartening that they're running into these issues again because things had seemed to take a turn for the better. Things had seemed to be going back to normal. And now it looks like everything's going the opposite direction. Um, he's a very honest answerer. Like, he's a very honest interview. Yeah, and I... and I Obviously, he has to say, you know, we can't use that as an excuse. I get that. But I would also say, like, just to Fluto's point earlier, talking about Pasternak, you know, and just, like being human and sometimes real world things affect how you perform in any job, but Mm -hmm. you know, including professional athletes. And I think like that, keep that in mind here. Like as we go forward, like it sucks for all of us that things seem to be going in the wrong direction again. And we're all miserable about it. Like we all hate this and pro athletes are no different. Like they were, you know, they were encouraged by the fact that they were able to do things normally and were able to go out on road trips again. And now if like that's going away, yeah, maybe there's going to be nights that guys like aren't, aren't totally into it or giving their best effort. And I just think it's very, it's very easy for fans to just lose sight of like their human beings. And I don't know. That's it. Just, just keep that in mind. Like Taylor Hall can say it's, you know, it's not an excuse or whatever, and I get that, and yes, you have to do everything you can to fight through it, but at the same time, like, it does also suck, and that can get to guys. So, my response to that, and I want to make this perfectly clear, this this has, um, this is not including David Pashnak, this is not including that, this is including Taylor Hall, the COVID thing, um, but all the other teams and players are no, going through the same thing. Very true. So it's like, it's, that doesn't really give, I mean, the Pashnak thing is, that's something totally different. I'm not talking yeah. about him. No, and and I guess for me, this is more about just, I mean, be not, just be, Tuesday be a good person, night. Be a good person. Be, you know, yeah. Don't be a troll. I get that. Like, yeah, totally. But, but yeah, Brian, in this case, like, like <laughs> I can on. see, it, you know, I could see if there were Bruins players who, you know, they get through, they see Craig Smith, you know, going protocol. They get off the ice for morning skate, then they see Martian going protocol. Like, I can understand why there are maybe some Bruins who weren't 100% ready to go right from the jump Tuesday night. Like, that's just, 
it's a shitty situation, and and I'm you sure... know that everybody just played this team that has you know what do they have yeah. in total now that like they have seven players and however many coaches that are now in, it's, in it's Calgary even more that they added yeah. more on on Wednesday yeah so so Calgary's you know more than half their team is well, Florida too the Panthers just uh, like an hour before we started this like they had a they had some some outbreaks too no but man, yeah when sucks, you but when yeah. you see what's going on with a team you just played and you know you probably caught yeah. it from them you're like oh was that gonna be us yeah so you, you yeah. definitely have that in the back of your mind yeah and and honestly that Vegas game like I they they came out honestly they came out fine I think it was a couple bad bounce goals and then they got deflated but yeah no I mean Scott you're and right and then a goal point five seconds left in the first you're right I mean in general you are right they're like it's just a, it's just a sport it's just a game like people take it's you know, pe- people take things uh, to the extreme about, you know, when judging people and, and not being able to differentiate, you know, the person and, and the player and this and that. And, you know, that's a good point, but we're talking about, we're, we're, for our purposes, we'll continue to, uh, you know, honestly assess what, we, what we're what we watching. And... No, you know what, Brian? No. No, no more podcasts. Nope. <laughs> Scott's like Oprah. Everybody gets a trophy. You get, a, you get an award. You get an award. You get an well, A for effort. A for this effort. is also to, to explain away my, my own bad podcast coming up when we have to cancel the Montreal trip, so... Yeah. It's not gonna happen, Scott. It's not. Mm. I want you... I, it's too bad. I wanted you... I wanted, you uh, I wanted a bilingual podcast. That, See, that, that you might have to be, like, the split vote, because <laughs> you've got two votes here, and we need a third. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pluto's going. Let's go. Yeah. Alright, we've taken up enough time. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys uh, next week. Bye.